Amen. I'm going to have to scream out this morning. We have a family atmosphere, which means that uh, while the parents are at the kitchen table, the kids are playing on the floor. So we're going to have to uh, speak above that. But I trust that you can hear me. And today is a, uh, is a big day for us. I was like, I guess it's more of a birthday than an anniversary. Whoops, that's my fault. So it's a birth anniversary uh, sort of thing. Uh, we're ecstatic that you're here. We know that a lot of people are not actually able to be with us. I know there's a, quite a few, a number running the marathons. So if there are people that are straggling in and, and they're in wheelchairs, um, they're actually just finished a marathon. Um, but I'm, I'm excited that you guys are here. And if you're brand new to Urban Grace, this is a terrific day to be here because there are so many great stories. And this is really about the faithfulness of Jesus throughout everything. And so uh, it, my story is, and Leslie's story, uh, is deeply ingrained, I think, with our rediscovery, it feels like, in the gospel. In about 2006, uh, we j- had just taken a, uh, a pastorate um, in Bowdoin, Alberta, which is a, about an hour north. Yes, it is named after the penitentiary, and so we did uh, prison ministry from the outside. Um, we had a number of people in our church connected to that particular penitentiary, and uh, we kind of settled down and wanted to be there for a long season, and then God began to do some interesting things. Uh, My mother-in-law had just passed away in 2006, and so in some ways we're reeling from that, but in 2006, I kind of went back to some of the, some of the, I guess, doctrines would be the best way to put it, some of my background growing up. And I began to rediscover the gospel, and I don't think I became a Christian then, although it sure felt like it. In the fall of 2006, I read a book by a guy named C.J. Mahaney called Living the Cross-Centered Life, and he described in that that the gospel, that the cross is not something that we just hear about and talk about at the beginning of our Christian life and then leave it behind and then go on and work hard to, to follow Jesus to the best of our ability from then on. I discovered that actually the way you follow Jesus in every part of your life is by reinvestigating the gospel every day, by learning how to preach it to yourself. And it began to feel so fresh to us that I, I was like, what have I been preaching before this? I have no idea. I've been a pastor at that point for like eight to ten years, somewhere in there. And I felt like, what have I been doing up until this point? And I began to, it began to have an overflow. Actually, there's some here from those days. Um, and they can even testify to the fact that there was something that was renewing. They would have just kind of just been getting to know me. Um, Tom and Aaron, who are with us today, I would have known them actually as teenagers. And uh, God began to just pull on my heart, which was a tough thing because we had committed to be in Bowdoin for a long, long time. And we knew that this would cause a lot of pain for our people, and it was a hard decision actually to eventually leave. But our story really starts, and, and I'm, I'm talking this way, um, flip the next one. My slides aren't coming up there, so I can't even see what they look like, Rob. But that would describe, I'm going to describe this. Of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'm a little bit of a nerd theologian guy, so I'm going to use Bible books to describe the story of our church No one says boo. Okay, that's good. Um, But Genesis is a book all about beginnings. It's the beginning of almost everything that happens in the Bible. 
the beginning where God created the heavens and the earth, the beginning where he created male and female perfect, and they were in a perfect relationship. He begins to create God's people. And as he begins to create God's people, he speaks to a man by the name of Abraham. And he says this, go. That's kind of all he says to him. In Genesis uh, chapter 12, Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, who he didn't really know at the time, by the way. He didn't have like a Bible college degree. He didn't have a master's in discipleship. He didn't know who this God was. He just heard this God speak and God said, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land I will show you. Do you know what land that was? Neither did he. He just knew that he had to go. Basically, this is what God was saying to him. Everything that you know, leave it and go to a place that you have no clue of. And I will tell you when you arrived. And I honestly say, even though I don't have the faith of Abraham, I don't claim that at all. All we knew at that time was to go. And believe me, it was one of the hardest decisions we ever made in our life. When we told our church, they were devastated. They were frustrated. They were angry. They didn't understand. I don't blame them. Because we had committed to be there for a long time. There was nothing wrong with what we thought the ministry was going. We, we didn't leave because we were angry or because we felt called away from a bad situation. Everything was going well, so it was totally stunning to our church family. But I knew for some reason that this gospel that I had rediscovered, and the gospel simply being this, let me reiterate it. Not because we got to reiterate it, because it's so awesome. The gospel tells us it is not what we have done. It is what Jesus Christ has done for us in our place. And it just, it, it, it brings me to tears even now because I don't get over the fact that I am a sinner, that I'm saved by grace. And if it weren't for the call of Jesus on my life and his Holy Spirit drawing me to himself, I couldn't be where I am. I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be doing anything that I'm doing. I'm sure I wouldn't be married. I'd be probably homeless. I'd be in terrible despair if it wasn't for the gospel. But after the gospel call comes, comes a personal call sometimes. And it's very specific sometimes and it took a lot. It, I, I, I'm not going to go all charismatic on you here, but it involved dreams. I had dreams that I didn't know what to do with. I'm not charismatic at all. That's why I didn't know what to do with them. I was like, uh, what do I do with this? This dream is weird. I've never had a dream about preaching before and I dreamed about preaching. And I talked to someone who had been very familiar with this and he, of course, in typical, probably charismatic fashion was like, oh yeah, well, it's this. He said, I don't think your call is the problem to preach the gospel. I think your location is something that Jesus is doing in you. And we had to go to Calgary. I did some research. All we did is very simple. We, uh, basic kind of uh, statistics say that if you have kind of like gospel saturation in a city, you should have one church for every 1,000 people. And so we did our research. We're Canadian, so we have terribly research about, about churches. But at that time, there was about 450 churches in Calgary. In order to have gospel saturation, you need one church for every 1,000 people. So tell me how many churches were we short at that time? Anyone who's done math besides me? But 650, less than halfway there, with Calgary rapidly growing, being the fastest growing city for the last five, 10 years. 
I said, somebody has to do something. Somebody has to go to Calgary. And someone said, why don't you go, Trev? You seem to have all the answers for this. And I said, no. I'm way too comfortable where I am. And I say this to this day, it's almost as if I hear the Holy Spirit laugh when I said that out loud. When I said I'm too comfortable because I know how the Holy Spirit works and he doesn't depend on our comfort. Although he doesn't drive us from comfort, he never relies on our comfort to be where we are in order to do his work. In fact, most of my growth as a Christian comes when I'm uncomfortable. Anyone relate to that? How many of you, when things are going super well, that's your spike in growth? Anyone? No, it's usually the times when things are just going terrible, when you want to use bad words to describe your situation. I mean, we're a church plant, so in the early days, I probably would have used bad words. But that's my story, our story. We moved to the city of Calgary. We moved to the center of the city because we're like, well, if we're going to do this, let's think of the hardest possible way we can do this. And then if it doesn't work out, we can say, well, at least we tried the hardest possible thing. So we went to the very center of the city where we could hardly find any gospel preaching churches. Nobody was interested at all in what we were doing. Nobody. Now church planting is much cooler. Then it was super stupid. It was. That's not a joke. When I talk to denominational supervisors, like, how interested are you in providing for us? And they're like, hey, we can provide you some coffee money. And I'd be like, I need some salary here. Coffee? I'm not going out for coffee. I need people. Like, I need to live. My children need to be fed. And so I worked. I painted, did uh, handyman work. I had no skills outside of this, which is quite different from some of you from mad skills. I had no skills. I was an epic failure in everywhere but the church. And so what was I supposed to do but simply just repair drywall holes? I cleaned toilets. My father-in-law had a a, uh, property management business that actually repoed houses from the bank. And so people would walk out of the door. They'd come and they'd change the locks and they'd leave this place a pigsty. And I, I had to bid on this and clean like people's stuff up for months. I mowed lawns. I actually cleaned a house for a, you would, might know him, he's a political writer for the Calgary Herald. It's humiliating in some ways. It's like, what do I do? I, he, reads, he writes for the Herald. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm trying to start a church from scratch. And I can imagine in his head, he's like, hmm, how's that going for you? You're here cleaning my toilet. That must be going really well. But I tell you, I never prayed so much in my whole life. I never had to be so desperate in my whole entire life. It's almost tempting to say I miss those days because of the sweetness of Jesus showing up over and over and over again. A really unique story um, right when we started. Uh, what, uh, just a, a little bit for the picture's sake. I'll kind of go through here. I think this is uh, the... the <laughs> This was the original logo scribbled on my moleskin back in the day. It's evolved since then, a little less complicated. Um, But I believe this is the very first picture of the group that met in April 2010. This is why we celebrate this every year. It's not rolling for me here, Rob. There we go. There was seven of us there. Uh, Three of those are Rye Savvies and two were Willisons at the time. 
And then there's Tom, who's still here. He's sitting right in the middle. Tom was our first music leader. And then there's Mackenzie there. And I don't know how she showed up. I think we put something on Facebook and we didn't know her, who she was, but she just showed up because she had got connected through our Acts 29 connection. And there is our core group the very first Sunday. It was amazing or so we thought. We thought it was dumb to take this picture, by the way. Um, if you look carefully, Charlotte's eyes are already crossed from fatigue. And if you know Charlotte, this was uh, for the first two years as we had church three o'clock in the afternoon, it was a lot of this. Cross eyes and barely making it. But that's our first core group. You guys are experiencing urban grace from this. You know, sometimes, you know, when weird people go like, this is how a baby is formed from this little egg here, right? This is the little egg. We had no idea. We still talked about the same things. We talked about how important the gospel was and how transformational it was to our life. We talked about how important it was to take this gospel then to the city. And we're like, I wasn't even living in the city yet. That's my, my father-in-law's basement. So we didn't have space. We met there for probably six months, close to six months, I think. He's passed away last year at this time. I wish she could see this. Diane has since grown up, but she still looks like that whenever we do church stuff. <laughs> well, we thought it was awesome. We thought it was awesome. We ran a DVD series by a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll called Vintage Jesus. Um, I think that's the next slide here. Uh, I'm not sure if it is. That was, th this is our, our slogan, kind of from the very beginning. And we didn't really have this, this uh, great kind of missional statement like a lot of church planters or a lot of pastors nowadays have. Uh, this was my mission statement in the first two years. Because that was it. I mean, those who were there in the first, you remember this. That's all it was. It was literally not giving up. Not giving up over and over again. People ask, what's your strategy? I was like, don't quit. That's my strategy. Take care of my family and don't quit. That's all it was. There was no genius to this. It was hard, hard work. Next picture will show, see how it's boring it's starting to get. <laughs> uh, Mackenzie's barely listening. That's Shauna's son who's not paying attention. Charlotte's eyes are cross-eyed there, but it's black and white. We hid that for you, Char. No problem. Um, and then Shauna Penner, who's also part of a uh, big part of this, and they, they were sent out in January as they uh, took another position. This was upstairs. Hey, we moved up. We literally moved up. And people invited their friends, and we doubled. They invited their family members. That's Jay and Shauna's in-laws up there. And so, like, we quadrupled our attendance on one. This is a Sunday afternoon, I believe, Sunday evening. So at the time, I was still pastoring, but it was Sunday evening, and we were listening and we were discussing what this would look like, some friends from out of town. And then that fall, we had, uh, I had built a relationship with a friend of mine who was a pastor at Parkdale Grace Fellowship, who's still there, Steve Pauzer, who's run our sound, uh, Steve and Fritzy of Lead City Group. At the time, we connected with them. They were just barely married, I believe, very, very newly married, six months, so kind of newly married. Um, but I had built a relationship up with the pastor of this church, 
Um, and I said, hey, we're looking for free space. What can you give us? And he said, well, we have a space when no one's in our building after the Sunday morning service and before the evening uh, a Bible study. You can use that. And I was like, okay, it's free. What I didn't realize is at 3 p.m. And if I just did a little inventory in my life, I would have realized that that's the normal time that everyone naps. But we did it anyways. And we really thought we were doing awesome. <laughs> This is Donna's first day of school and really expressed so much of how we felt moving to the neighborhood as missionaries. She's not swearing there. She might be in her head though. <laughs> this was when we moved back downstairs and, uh, in, into the Parkdale uh, Grace Fellowship. Again, I conveniently cropped the picture so you don't see no one else is actually in this room. But there's Eve there. You can see her right there in the bottom corner there. Uh, very few of these people are still with us. Uh, one of them is back there. At that time, we had some international, I think that was the first international people we had from Kansas. And they were like, hey, sweet, a church plant. Boy, were they surprised. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, but those days we say, we dogpiled you if you were new. Like if you were new and showed up, there was no such thing as being anonymous. Like everyone would stop mid-sentence and turn around and go, hey, someone new, how about you serve next week and do announcements and preach and maybe lead music? Can you play music? How much do you want to give? And everyone did that. Everyone was a fundraiser. Everyone was a greeter. Everyone was like, please, if you don't come, we're not going to have a church. Church planting by guilt. We uh, do what most church plants did at this time, used bribery. That's a great way to grow a church. Lastly, made her cupcakes and Coke Zero. It's the best way we could grow a church, and it worked. Story of 2011. 2011 is the story of Leviticus. Sacrifice. It began to get hard. This is when our mission statement really started to show up. We had about 15 to 20 people and we hovered in and around there. People came and people left. And to be honest, a lot of people showed up and they said, I'm not ready to invest my whole life in a church plant. And so I'm not really in a position to join. They were interested in joining us, but more as like a little bit anonymous or a little bit at a time or more Canadian, if you will. And so it was very nerve wracking for a lot of people to show up and realize that they had to either... <laughs> be fully involved or get ridiculed by everyone else in the entire church. And so there were a lot of people that said, it's not really for me at this time. And it was hard to watch people walk away. We really loved what we were doing. We loved church, but we also knew this wasn't really sustainable. I was still obviously working full time and the church was helping support so I didn't starve to death. But really the church wasn't really paying for me to work for them. They were paying so that I basically could survive with my family. And so I'd often work a 40 or 50 hour week and then on Sunday morning, uh, I would somehow put together some sort of a sermon. I would start at about eight o'clock in the morning um, and by maybe one-ish I was wrapping up or whatever and then I would go and set everything up at Parkdale Grace and preach for an hour on Sunday afternoon. Like what moron pastor would ever do that? In a dark room, I was like, hey, let's turn out the lights so it's a little more cozy in here. I was like, lights, darkness, preaching for an hour. I'm like, I'm like this close to everyone. And so I'm like, repent, right in people's faces. It was weird. 
It was weird. So we moved to the bigger room so I could say the word repent without feeling so weird. We had a lot of great ideas. We had this text, text in Q&A at the time. That was the big deal. <laughs> Tom's laughing. So it's like text your questions in after the service. Now picture this. 15 people text in your question. I think I got four texts total. Three of them were my wife saying, babe, wrap it up. No one's answering. <laughs> it was a total, we shut that down, of course. What else did we do? Anyone remember UG646? Ooh, that was cool. We had church on Thursday nights in the summertime at 6.46 on a Thursday night. So after work, don't go home and watch the baseball game. Come and set up for the same 10 people that are going to sit and get screamed at for an hour. See, I'm, I'm getting riled up here, but... I mean, we loved it. There was, there was some things we learned about, though, that we learned, like, suddenly we had our weekends open and we're like, oh, this is why people don't go to church on Sunday. This is awesome. We have the whole day to go to the mountains and we already have church out of the way. This is the best. We also learned that we weren't really that on mission as individuals and we needed to grow in this. And then we started thinking more intentional about our Sundays and our Saturdays and we began to use those opportunities not merely for bringing pleasure to ourselves by doing what we want to do, but by building relationships intentionally with our neighbors because we had never had the opportunity to do this before. We learned something from it. We spent time trying to serve one another on mission. It was weird. We didn't really know what mission looked like. So one guy needed to build a fence. So he was like, hey, why don't you come over and build my fence? And I was like, okay, it sounds like if it's missional, then let's do it. We showed up and it, there was nothing to do, but we were trying all kinds of things. We started our first missional community. It was sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Every single person that was there was in. There was no one dangling on the edge. There were people that would show up and then leave, but there was no one really there that was dangling on the edge. And every time three people would show up, I mean, it almost triple our attendance. The high was about 23 or 25 people, I think, or 30 people we had on one Easter, Good Friday. We did a Good Friday celebration. That's when the whole church could fit into the Parkdale Grace basement. Our all-time low was three people. So we didn't even have a service. We just talked about economics and oil prices and all those kind of things. On mission, of course. We started a band that fall. That's Tom there on the left. That's yours truly playing the drums. Not Fun fact, you guys, I actually have some experience playing the drums. Since that time, I have never been asked to play the drums again. Uh, there's a beardless Steve, so that was a unique period in his life. Not many of you have ever seen Steve without a beard, but it was—it makes him look about 17 there. Um, but Steve and Fritzy joined us at that time and dug their heels in, and they were terrific for us because they were a connection to Parkdale Grace. So every time we made mistakes, Steve was able to cover it up because his dad was connected to the church leadership, and he made a lot of uh, connections for us, and basically without them, they ended up giving us a key. They trusted us. It was something else. I mean, without Parkdale Grace, we couldn't be a church. Uh, we're so thankful for them. Uh, that's me preaching. Um, that's really our 
kind of our first real series with a graphic. We had a graphic designer, Joel Funk. He wasn't here. He's can't be here today. As we're going through Zachary. So, so hang with me here. Three o'clock Sunday afternoon, summertime, basement, dark, preaching on Zachariah for an hour. Barely have music. Who's in? Who wants to give their life to this? Right. It's amazing to me that we still have a church. I think we barely hung on. There's the wide-angle lens again. Notice how conveniently I took that picture. I was like, there's no one behind that person. And actually, those people were from Saskatchewan, and they were just visiting someone else. So it looks like more people. There's our sound guy, Dan. We had the white Mac. That tells you a little bit about how old this picture is. And that whole year is basically summarized by uh, sacrifice. We actually had uh, launched a city group, I think, um, or, or we're starting to launch our very first city group. And so the people that showed up on Sunday were the people that showed up on Thursday in our house to do the missional community. It was like, hey, missional community, or hey, church. And for a season there, it was both. And there were times I, I was learning how to preach to people that didn't know yet about Jesus. Because I had come from a church situation my whole life where if you didn't know about Jesus, you never went to church. And I was hoping that we could build a church where people that were interested in Jesus could show up at our church and understand what was going on. And so I'd preach in, these, uh, in, my, in the downstairs at people and I'd talk like this. I would say, now some of you here aren't Christians. And the 10 people that had helped me set up were like, who's not a Christian? Who's he talking to? Maybe he's not even a Christian. <laughs> but I learned how to talk like this. So when we say like, hey, you're new here, you don't know about Jesus. We learned how to do that at Parkdale Grace during those sacrificial years. That became such a staple that now I actually participate with a lot. I actually have an opportunity to be involved in some training with some preachers. And I'm really hardcore about this. You better make sure that someone who walks in off the street, who's never heard the gospel, hears it and understands it. I mean, I don't care if you talk about sin, justification, sanctification, transubstantiation. You can use all those words, but you better explain them because someone is going to come in and go, I would love to know more. I just can't figure, I feel like I'm in science club. I know it doesn't make sense to me. And we learn how to do that. 2012, we began to get antsy. Surprise. We're in a basement. We're packing and unpacking those cheap Ikea lights. Those paper ones, you know the ones. They're for college students, but we use them for our church plant. They ripped. They're half torn. We just, you know, turned them to, so they're back against the wall. A couple of them smashed. We're like, we don't have 20 bucks to replace these. We put these lights along. Anyways. We're getting antsy, and we're like, let's get out of the basement. Literally, let's get out of the basement. What are we going to do? We don't have, we have no money, no vision. You know, our mission statement is don't give up. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know where to go, and we're like, where's the cheapest possible place we can go? Guess where that was? The Plaza Theater. That was not strategic. We had no prayer meeting about that. We literally walked around, we're like, who will rent to us? Oh, that building's being demolished. 
oh, that building is coming down. That one's way too expensive. And then we looked at the theater and they said, we can give it to you for a little over $400, $450 a month. One of our core group members fundraised that and we had someone donate to that specifically and we had a place to meet. The first possible date we could find was Easter Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Like Easter Sunday, like most church plant manuals are like, if you can launch, launch Easter Sunday. And so we're like, well, where can we find a place? I don't know, this is the cheapest place. When can we rent it? Easter Sunday is the first available day. So we actually booked it and then I realized it was Easter Sunday. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad time to, to launch. So if you think some of this history is like this really carefully planned out church plant, that's a terrible idea. Erase that from your mind. It was mostly survival. We moved into a 358-seat theater with 24 people. 24. 24. Did you hear what I said? 24 people. We had a sound system for 800 people, <laughs> thanks to Steve. We're like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. We didn't just do it right. We did it way too right. But we had a kick and sound system and 24 people. First Sunday, Easter Sunday, 44 people show up. My parents were in town. <laughs> Next Sunday was like 22. Third Sunday, I think, was like 10. That was, that was tough. That was tough. That's when we realized, what, what, what are we going to do? But we really felt that the theme of that year in 2012 was the theme of the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is a story of God's people poised to take the land that God had promised to them. So you go back to that Genesis story where God promises to Abraham, go. That's all he says is go into the land that I will show you. Numbers is the story of the people that God has built ready to take the land that God has shown them. Now don't, don't think of this as like this kind of domineering kingdom mindset, but we just felt like we're poised to, to, to move something. Now, something miraculous happened that summer. We, didn't, we weren't strategic at all about it. We moved into the theater with 24 people, and I think our annual budget was about $30,000 for the whole year, which was mostly a salary for me at that time, still working part-time. By the end of the summer, we had grown to about 60 regular attenders. We had had $25,000 come in over just that summer alone with young hipsters who don't really give all that much. It was incredible. It was incredible. The book of Numbers is named for a census that happens in that book where they just calculate they just calculate who they have, what they have, all the gifts, and they talk about kind of the way they're going to be structured. And that was our year, poised. We began to see people show up. We began to see lots of people show up that we didn't expect. We started building community. That's my little daughter Eve there with her pigtails. I miss those things. There's our old logo there. We had some challenges. Immediately we share, we share the theater with the Queer Film Festival. And we knew that the stuff that we believed would probably really grate against the stuff that they believed. And we knew that we either had to have courage to stick to our guns and, and not be worried and be friendly. And you know what? Nothing ever happened. 
We never got rotten eggs thrown at us. We never got tomatoes. Nobody ever picketed. In fact, we met some of the people that were serving in there that I know, with all due respect, believe very different things from me. And we learned how to be missionaries in the community as a church family. I mean, we were like, okay, come out and, you know, be forgiven would have been our phrase there instead of be out. But we're about bringing grace to the city. We started Home Cook Music. And we had a concert series at Urban Grace. It's a way of reaching out. It didn't work the way we had hoped. It was very expensive and we couldn't quite generate uh, enough interest that we wanted to keep it sustainable, but we tried it. I'm proud to say we tried it. Tom and Michelle who are here, they really were behind this. That was a great concert, by the way. I miss that stuff. That fall, we uh, launched... Um, Basically, concurrent with going to the theater, we launched our first city group, our second city group out of our first one with Pete Spencer sitting, standing at the back there. Didn't have a picture of Pete because he wouldn't return my text. <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't take selfies. So this is the picture I have of him in 2011 where I baptized him. That's not me celebrating baptism. That's me thanking the Lord for getting out of that freezing cold river. It was like four degrees in there. That's like late September. And Pete's like, hey, let's get baptized in the Bow River. And I'm like, okay. It's a terrible idea, but it was awesome. Uh, we had baptized my father-in-law earlier that year, I believe. And we had upstairs in the tank. We thought the summertime would warm up the Bow River. But he got baptized in the tank and we asked if they would turn on the heat <laughs> for the tank. The guy totally forgot. So I thought, maybe I'll be doing a baptism and a funeral today. My father-in-law was like 75 at the time. I remember his eyes when he got in the tank. And he's like. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, thank you that I'm not going under today. <laughs> Somehow he went underneath the water without saying a word. It was incredible. He came up out. He's like, oh, that was good. I was like, whew, you're a better man than I. We also that fall launched another city group, and that's our home-cooked music stuff. We launched a, a group with Steve and Fritzy Pelzer. Um, again, they weren't eagerly signing up to, to be part of a city group or to lead one. In fact, I think I basically forced them to. I guilted them into it, I'm sure. But I said, I think you can do this. And they were like, are you sure? Are you sure? And so we launched our third city group with Steve and Fritzy that fall. We, we, we began to grow. We began to stabilize a little bit. Uh, this is our uh, kind of our Sunday morning setup. We stopped doing this after a while because we were really tiring out. Some pastor had the genius idea to use cinder blocks as the background. And so, you know, all those setup people, if you think it's tough now, imagine if your pastor says, we're going to do a series on building a wall and use these heavy bricks. And it's going to get worse and worse because the wall's going to be built over time. And so as you continue on, you're going to be lifting more and more. And we learned a lot from that. We cracked 100 people at our Christmas Eve service. That was enormous for us. The place felt packed. It was incredible. We sell it one year in 2013. We baptized six people that fall. We started going through a, 
a, a really key series to our church family that many look back as still their favorite series. It was on Galatians, and we called it the gospel, period. That was it. So the name of the series, gospel. Like, real seeker-sensitive, eh? Gospel, period. And I said to the congregation, the people there, over and over again, you are either going to get tired of me saying gospel and leave, or you're going to actually start believing it. And you're going to actually move from just putting up with me preaching the gospel to, to getting angry when I don't. And I began to see that over time. And if there's one criticism that ever came with outside preachers, when they came, I would hear this. Yeah, it was good. They're good communicators, but they didn't get to the gospel deep enough. It began to be miraculous. Like something happened that fall in 2012 when we began to realize that the gospel is everything to us. That without the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives, forgiving our sins, transforming our lives, we don't have anything else. I'm obviously going to go over time this morning. This is Tom singing. Simon took over from the drums, never to return the favor. It's Nate. That's a white Mac. You guys know what a white Mac is? That's back in the day. It's 2008 version. Again, conveniently picture that's your own setup. That's the only people there. That story is a remarkable story. And uh, I'll let Nate and Sarah tell a little bit more of it. But we launched that series. Nate and Sarah had been kind of part of what we were, we were doing. I should let them really tell this story. Um, this, Matt, do you have the roaming mic for, for Nate and Sarah? And I'll ask them to come out. But we did launch a series on Nehemiah called Magna Civitas, which is Latin because, I'm a, again, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And it's Latin for great city. Uh, Nate first referred to it as Magnus Sidivus. Um, I was like, no, it's Magna. It's Magna. Um, but that was a monumental series for us as well because it really kind of solidified what we thought about um, the city and how we we're going to reach it. And that spring, actually, they, we launched them with the fourth city group. And I basically kind of said interview style. Uh, apparently, Nate's going to interview himself um, that's okay. You can, you can keep it. But I asked them to share like how they really got connected to Urban Grace and then what Jesus has done kind of through their city group and what's going on there. Go. How did you get connected to Urban <laughs> Grace? Uh, it, it's actually kind of, kind of a long story, but um, the long and the short is... It I've can't met, be. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Make disciples that just preach forever, right? Um, but I met Leslie kind of in a Starbucks and she was saying, oh, you know, my husband and I, we planted this church and Sarah and I were saying, oh, we, we're looking for a church. And, and she's like, oh, you got to come to our church plant. We were like, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> well, that's what I said, but we checked it out anyway. And, and it, 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 you know, the scene, and that was in Parkdale and we were walking down the stairs and um, it's, I kind of liken it to that scene in Toy Story where those like aliens are like, the claw. <laughs> <laughs> so like every, and it was, like if you're looking at it from the outside, everybody kind of surrounded us and they're like, you're the ones Leslie met. <laughs> but to us it felt, we're like, this is great. So... I don't know. We, yeah, 
if you were looking at it from the outside, you're like, I'm running as fast as I can. And to us, it was, we said, oh, this, this feels like home. So um, yeah. that's how we kind of got first uh, connected to UG. So. so they joined our city group at the time. Um, and then we had always kind of said that they were going to be eventual city group leaders. And they're kind of looking at us like this, like, no. Uh, you know when you nod, yes, but in your head you're like, not a chance. Yeah. There's no way. Um, but Sarah can tell you the story and, and Nate. Um, but what was really cool is that as the gospel began to be washed over them, specifically Sarah had said that somewhere in that time, she claims that's when she had discovered the gospel and believed. And I did not realize that just because you go to church and you have a church background, that it's possible to not believe. It's possible for you to hear the gospel a lot and it never sinks in. And we watched this transformation. I mean, Sarah was like writing down notes at the beginning. She'd be like, <laughs> she was our resident scribe. And uh, it, was, it was a miracle kind of watching them grow in the gospel. And they didn't have any theological education. But I said, these two know the gospel no, none. None. like nobody's business. And uh, we it got was, sent was, out in 2013. Go. Yeah, it was kind of neat because when Trevor was like, I, I, I think you guys could lead a city group. We were like, no, that's, that's a terrible idea. Um, and so actually when, when we, I don't know even how we said yes or how we came to this conclusion. You didn't. Yeah. All of a sudden one week we were separate and people came over to our house. <laughs> <laughs> But they said, like, if we were going to do this, I mean, we needed a, a ton of help. I mean, I think Jesus has a pretty good sense of humor because despite our best efforts, people still came and, and we still, you know, what we got out from it is we, we learned so much more about how, how much more I need the gospel and how much more I need so much help throughout this. And um, Matt and Christina, uh, they were... Like, I requested that they'd come to our city group because he's got a degree in city groups, pretty much. And, <laughs> um, I mean, there would be times where, like, early on I'd say things. I'd say something, you know, just throw something out there, and, and I'd look over at Matt, and I'd look for his approval, and he'd either, he'd either say yes, or he'd say no. <laughs> so it's kind of, but... Uh, yeah, seeing how the gospel has just transformed our lives is, um, and you know, the the goal as as being a, a father of Christ is to make disciples. And so, how do we make disciples? Is um, we have to learn how to disciple ourselves and how to gospel ourselves and preach ourselves. I mean, it goes back to a conversation that that you and I had, um, where I was like, "What do I need to read my Bible for?" I got you, and and very lovingly you said, "I'm not here to eat your food and chew it up for you and spit it in your family's mouth." In a, in a loving way, you know, and that was kind of, that was kind of my first thing about, like, we're actually called to be contributors and making disciples, and so how do I make a disciple? Well, I actually have to, you know, read, read my Bible, and I have to teach people and be taught by them, and, you know, you doing this as a community, um, that's, I mean, it's transformed my life to, you know, not only just raising, raising kids, but um, also building disciples, and so. Okay. How does Sarah give Sarah a chance? Yeah. Thank you. Um, like you were saying before, just practicing preaching the gospel and, you know, looking at, out at the 12 people that were <laughs> Christian, um, 
Like, that was the first time. And I think you were preaching Zachariah when we came. And we left that day after church hopping a few times. And I'm like, Nate, I understand. Like, I, I get it. And then we kept coming back. And I'm like, am I confused? I keep hearing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> like, am I missing something as I flip through my notes? No. Um, he's like, no, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You know, Jesus died for all of our brokenness because Nate and I are probably two of the most broken people here. But um, he redeemed our relationship. He redeemed us as individuals and has called us to disciple our crying children. And... <laughs> And uh, yeah, we just um, are forever indebted to you and Leslie and those that walked alongside us to, to teach us the truth and uh, who we are in Jesus. So yeah, we, we can't thank you guys enough. And we're also, we think we have the best city group. We're a little bit uh, biased maybe, but um, I was home uh, about a month ago and really realized what it means to have community, like um, not just community as friends, but as Christ followers, it's, uh, it's really eye-opening when you go back home and there's a lot of non-believers and um, it's, drain it's draining. It's, it's a good, great mission field, but it's really hard. And so when we came back from Ontario, um, yeah, it was just really good to be re-energized and talking about Jesus and who we are and who are, where our identity lies. And yeah, it's just so important for us each week to connect with our family. We, we're a family, so yeah. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. You can give them a round of applause. <clears throat> I'm very, I'm obviously very proud of these two. Um, and they are some of the examples that I give when someone says, yeah, but I'm, I'm a new Christian. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. And I'm like, <laughs> have I got a story for you? Nate and Sarah maybe became Christians and, and Nate baptized his wife uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that year or the year after, but sometime in there, that was a special moment. And it's a reminder that, um, you know, being a disciple uh, doesn't have to take 25 years. You don't become a leader at Urban Grace because you've been here the longest. You become a leader the moment you show up and you say, I'm in, and you begin to be developed into a discipler. And as, as God uses your gifts, you continue, he continues to, to move people like like that through um, our church family. Um, I don't know where those letters are. I was going to text. They might have gotten thrown out, but um, those still symbolize for us everything that was going on that year. Uh, some of you saw it said Nehemiah that, that year. We did preach through Nehemiah the year before, but that year was a building year. And there's a verse in there that said uh, something along the lines of, I always translate this myself because I think it's good, because Nehemiah is the story of building, rebuilding a wall after 140 years of kind of dormant activity in, in the key city of God. And it's this wonderful story about how God just called somebody back. He broke their heart over a city. That's my story. I can't tell that story without crying. Partially because I'm a weeper, but partially because God really, he gave me a limp, a heart limp. He touched my heart because I asked him, a, I prayed a silly prayer. I said, Jesus, would you break my heart for this city? Would you just crush it to the point where I just cannot resist this call? And he answered that prayer. He hasn't always answered my prayers that way. But he answered that prayer and my heart's been crushed. It broke my heart 
to see people like Nate and Sarah that wanted to know about Jesus but showed up in a church and they couldn't understand what was going on. It still to this day drives me crazy. It's why we're still committed to planting lots of churches because this isn't the only church that's doing it. But it's, it, it's, there's got to be so many more. But in Nehemiah, there's a verse. As they were building the wall, the builders of the wall had a sword at their side and a trowel in their hand. And I love this image. It's actually the same phraseology that God gives to Adam originally. And so there is a, a definite call, particularly to the men who I saw investing their lives in all kinds of stupid things, wasting their time with the mission at work or the mission to be a better athlete or some sort of mission. And it drove me crazy. I said, if you really want a real mission, that's really hard. Come and help plant a church. This is the hardest work you'll ever do. But it's the only work that will last for forever. And I remember thinking that. This is the image I want to see of our people, men and women across the board, with a sword at their side. God, God's word, defending. They can defend. It's a spiritual battle. Not a physical battle, a spiritual battle. And a trowel. They can build. Build and defend. God says to Adam, work and keep. That basically means build and defend. It's what we believe about marriage. It's what we believe about church. That the call to all people is to build and defend. And that year we began to see a number of men show up. We never had a problem with the ladies. If you know anything about the ladies, they always show up. They're the ones serving around. To this day, the, most, the majority of people that serve at Urban Grace are women. We never have a problem with getting our women to serve. It's really only an issue with men in particular. We began to build relationships. That's pre-kid Sarah there, the guy by the name of Josh Albers. And there's Tom. He shows up in just about every picture. There's Michelle. There's a bearded Steve that you might recognize him. Fritzy's there, normal, just barely behind Steve. You can't see her. Conveniently hidden from the camera. Yep, we were having a pint. We have different convictions than some people. That's across the street at Kensington Pub. That was Nate helping me baptize. Megan, that was a great pleasure. That was probably the first uh, kind of far from God story that we had. Thanksgiving weekend, Megan decides she's walking by the theater and she sees a picture that looks like, um, it looks like it's a, during the summer, she kept walking by the, by the, theater looked at these pictures that we advertise. They look like movie posters, but she's like, it looks like it's a church. Well, Thanksgiving, she brings her, her mom. About a year and a half later, we baptized both of them. On a Sunday, Nate helped me baptize him. It was an awesome story. My daughter, I believe, got baptized as well. Baptized six people. We had lots of opposition. That's the story of Nehemiah. I was like, why, why when they put Urban Grace on the marquee, did it always like not make sense? <laughs> Urban Grace, the grand seduction. This is my favorite. <laughs> you can't make this up. The guy who put that sign up was a part of our church while we're at the... <laughs> 
All the kids back there, erase, erase, erase. We had a lot of fun that year too. That fall, Matt and Christina were launched a city group at that, they had kind of shown up a little bit earlier than that. They went with Nate and, and Sarah, really to, in some ways, be under Nate and Sarah, but in some ways, keep them theologically uh, okay. And, and yeah, that's not me putting words in their mouth. Like, Nate demanded it. He was like, I won't go out unless there's somebody who knows what they're talking about shows up here. And so they launched a city group, kind of Evergreen, kind of Mackenzie Town. They lived in Evergreen. They moved, uh, it was actually hosted, I believe, in Mackenzie Town, if, if memory serves correctly. Uh, that fall, we actually also uh, launched Josh Albers and Tom Hubschman. They took a, a city group for a season. I don't know if we have the, the number on, is it number seven or number six? There we go. Thank you, Rob. Number six. At this time, we're already launching six. Uh, the, this city group, to be honest, struggled a bit. It, ha- it had a number of issues going on, and it was not by the fault of any of the leaders. We didn't think so. Um, Josh, is, he actually got married yesterday um, and has since moved on. God has called him to move on. Um, we also that fall had Julie. Uh, sh- she had already showed up to the church, but really she took a pretty serious leadership position. This is a more recent picture of Julie, not a picture of when she originally showed up. By the way, we hardly took any pictures of the original kind of, it just felt dumb to take pictures of what we were doing at every stage. Now we wish we had more of them. But in that season, it felt, we went through a series called First Peter. Tested and boy, did it seem like God tested us. Remember that? Remember the individual and personal tests that we felt we were going through? In 2014, we're getting, we're nearing the end here. This theme is about chronicles. It's about kingdom. Now, not our kingdom, but the kingdom of God. And we began to not just think just individually of a church, but we began to see real leadership development come along. People kind of branch out. Leaders step up. We began to think about church planting outside of ourselves. And so we took on some apprentices. And at that time, I just want to say, uh, we also launched Grant and Charlotte Burke. Now, this was a pretty... Um, Charlotte in particular has been a very close friend of our family. She's been best friends with Leslie for over 20 years. Um, I like to say I've been best friends with Charlotte for, for 22 of those years. Nobody got that joke, apparently. Um, but we go, we go way back. But what we saw was we saw her meet Grant. We saw her dive in. Um, and we saw them eventually, fairly newly married, like six months in, launch a city group. I mean, this is, again, this is really cool to watch from, from our perspective. And they had to leave the confines of, well, uh, I guess confines is maybe a little bit of a harsh word, but the comfortability of our city group and launch their own city group. Again, not feeling completely prepared, not totally knowing what this was going to be like, and just feeling like God was calling them to do uh, what he was calling them to do. And now, I, I, I don't, I'm not exaggerating here when I say these two have done some of the most important pastoral work in our church to this day. Uh, there's a, a guy I'm going to ask him to share. He's actually showed up. That's good. Chris, is this, this is your time. He said he was ready to talk, so 
Uh, Chris, you can come on up here. But there's, uh, Chris can tell you the story, but they walked with Chris and his family through this uh, difficult time. But we sent them, uh, we sent Chris and Jocelyn up to Grant and Charlotte's group, and I'll let you tell the story. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pick door number seven. <laughs> it's hard because when I'm on Connect, I automatically want to send everyone to Grant and Jarla. <laughs> so I'm totally biased. Like, you live in the belt? Uh, no, no, no. Suck it up and commute to the north, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we came, we showed up around uh, 2013. And I remember uh, when we moved here, it was really hard. Our church in Kamloops, we were there like 10 years young, enthusiastic, no money, and uh, it was like a church plant when we were there, so we loved this place right away. What we started, we didn't come here first when we moved to Calgary, we were just kind of trying churches near us, and uh, it was getting frustrating. I remember when we first walked in, uh, we were swarmed, greeted, like awesome, and uh, I remember just saying, uh, like, all we want is the gospel. That's all we want. That's all I want. And we walk around the corner and we saw that sign, the big gospel sign. We're like, yeah, this is awesome already. Yeah, that was good. Um, so after we were here like uh, a year, we were with uh, Matt's group in the south. And uh, we decided we wanted to move closer. So we moved to Airdrie. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, save two minutes on our commute. And... Uh, um, yeah, one day I was working, and uh, so we're still getting settled, sorting out the kids, um, trying to get stabilized, and uh, one day um, I was at work, and all of a sudden I had like crazy pain, and uh, that night I couldn't walk. <laughs> it was like crazy. So this is a couple years ago. So I just basically blew a disc out of my back. And uh, literally could not walk. Like, I remember almost being in tears trying to make the kids hot dogs. Like, I would have to get up, press the buttons, and then, like, lie back down. Like, it was bad. And uh, in every way, like, the stress on the family. Like, my superwoman wife mm. stepped it up big time. She's, like, amazing. She's working right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah. And uh, so, it, but it was, you know, the weight got spread out and uh, it was the darkest season of my life, for sure. Luckily, like, looking back at it, like we were just talking about this last night, but looking back at it, like God's hand on our lives in that period was just like phenomenal. And uh, in a, a thousand ways, and I could preach a series on it, but in relation to what we're talking about right now, uh, so we were in, uh, when we decided to move, we didn't even know Grant and Charla, and they like drove from the north to help pack thousand pounds of theology books. <laughs> and uh, we were like, who are these guys? Like, we don't even know, they were just, because we, they heard we were going to be in their city group like in the future. And so we were just amazed from the, from the get-go that they would, we didn't even know them, and they would just give the weekend up and come and help us and... Uh, Whereas, like, all our close friends bailed, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> and family. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're pretty much the worst city group members here. <laughs> like, 
I mean, the amount of excuses we've given and like, we've faced tons of trial and tribulation and even just showing up for their kids and work and commuting and whatever is going on. But in that period when I blew my back out, um, it was huge. It was things that like you would not expect and you would not get from buddies at work. Like got the odd phone call from friends and, um, and family, but like they were like, first of all, the prayer was huge and they would remind us and other people in our city group would remind us and uh, that was just amazing, uh, supernaturally and just comforting to know that, that people had our back and uh, yeah, I can't uh, commend them enough. I mean, they were like coming over. I remember one day Grant came over to just, I mean, they would give us gift baskets of stuff and like, you know, uh, stuff we could order food so we didn't have to cook and worry about it and just like tons of ways to take the pressure off us. And I remember one time uh, Grant came over to fill my propane for my barbecue <laughs> and uh, I was trying to barbecue and I couldn't even stand up to finish. I'm like, yeah, Grant, you gotta, I mean, the burgers turned out better, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's one way that the Lord is really in our darkest season, like I'm not exaggerating, the darkest season of my life and uh, huge pressure on the family. The kids didn't feel it, I don't think, which was huge. That was kind of our goal. And uh, so the Lord just blessing us and touching our lives through Urban Grace and more specifically through our home group. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I don't know. Did I cover it? Yeah, you covered it. Okay, thanks. You covered it. You covered it. Yeah, it's an amazing story. If you can ask Chris about his personal testimony, it's amazing to hear him say that's the darkest time of his life because he has a fascinating testimony that I'm sure uh, you would be interested in. Go talk to Chris. This started, like I said, with this idea of just kind of building kingdom and, and building leaders. And this is where we really began to press down in our 2010. That's 20 churches in 10 years. It's this crazy idea that we had that felt God put on our hearts. We broke our, city, our hearts for the city. Um, we're nowhere near, but we're, we're five churches in, including our own. Like We count churches any way that we can. But let me go through some of them in that year. This is a quote, yeah, just let me say this quote uh, from Charles Spurgeon that I love. The Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It wasn't intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries became commensurate with those of the world. It's an awesome quote. Remind you, we're not in this for this, this local church family. As great as this is, how awesome it is to have church family when you need it, as Chris has said. It's, this is not about us. It's about those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And so we decided to take on some crazy ideas. We, we very, from the very beginning, decided that we would donate 10% of our budget to church planting. So whatever our budget is, and we set it every year, whatever comes in, we take 10%, we scrape it off, and basically make that restricted funds. And then we give them away. And so we gave $10,000, I believe, to Acts 21 Church in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Great couple by the name of Mark and Marie. Uh, Pilon, I'm not French, so I'm probably butchering that, but wonderful couple. Uh, they've since planted uh, a second one. We brought on Brad and Shauna Hubert. Uh, I, 
hope I got Elroy and Lynn there. Yes, Elroy and Lynn. We took those two families on as apprentice. Uh, Elroy, we took on, I believe, in the fall of 2014. Brad, we took on in 2015. Uh, Brad wasn't here very long. They had kind of a different situation. They really just needed a little bit of a place to incubate. Uh, he preached a couple of times and then they were gone. A lot of people asked me about Brad and Shia. I said, well, this couple, we took all the credit for their church plan and we did none of the work. It was awesome. We counted them. But with Lynn and Elroy, we were very involved in what they're doing. We're still very involved in what they're doing. Recently, we've talked about this. I mean, the last week maybe even, you've heard, Lynn has been diagnosed with a very rare form of breast cancer and they're struggling through um, even their own, their own stability. They're at the kind of build stage or the sacrifice stage that we were at. And so we need to continue to pray for them and lift them up. Um, but we ended up uh, allowing Elroy and Lynn to take over this, a city group. And uh, really, they could take all the people they wanted from our church family. That's how we responded to them. We said, take whoever you think you want. We continue to support them to this day financially. Uh, we support them in prayer. We had an emergency prayer meeting about two weeks ago. Uh, where we prayed and begged God for healing for Lynn. Uh, we believe in these people. Uh, they're like mom and dad to everybody. They brought some, some stability in 2014 that we just didn't have at that time. You look around, it's a pretty young church here uh, this morning, but it, we needed some older people. We, we, anytime you say that to an older person, they're like, I'm not old. I know, I get that. But we needed some of that stability. And if you know anything about Lynn and Elroy, that's exactly what they bring. They bring stability. They're like, they're like the mom and pop store in church planting. And uh, we're delighted to continue to be involved in their life. And then we also uh, built a relationship with Chris and Gemma Ney, who were at the time they were in Cochrane. Uh, they have since shut that church down. We thought that was the best, wisest idea at the time. Sometimes that's what it means, but they have relaunched in Pincher Creek. We have supported them financially. I sit on Chris's task force and help lead and guide and direct. A task force is kind of like a, um, an elders team that doesn't, before you have an elders team. And, uh, but that year was kind of building a kingdom, building the kingdom, building leaders, gaining some stability. Um, at this time, I'd like to ask if David and Janet would come and share. They can stand where they are, and then we're going to open it up. But just, they came sometime in that fall, I believe, 2014, and were with us. So just share what Jesus has done and how your connection to Urban Grace. Well, Trevor uh, started the chronology this morning, uh, reminding us of how uh, Abraham received a command from the Lord to go. And, and we also received a command, uh, was not from the Lord, it was from our son, <laughs> Peter, uh, to go. And he was going to head away uh, for school for a year and thought uh, it'd be wise if we considered uh, joining Urban Grace. And uh, I, I think he saw that the hole he would leave as, you know, would take at least the two of us to fill. So... Uh, <laughs> And then uh, it was interesting to get here because we you know, didn't really know anyone and I'd, I'd introduce myself and, and say, you might know my son, Peter. And I would get usually a, a blank look or maybe a confused look. And I, I asked myself, I wonder why Peter's told everyone at church that he's an orphan. 
And then I, I finally figured it out that he's not Peter, he's Pete, as we saw on the screen. And we don't need to argue about that. I, I know who named him, so... <laughs> Uh, but just to tell you a little about myself, I, I'm a, I'm a C.S. Lewis fan, um, I'm a Tim Kellerite, and I, I sort of think of myself as belonging to two churches. Uh, so this is one, but the other one is Redeemer Presbyterian <laughs> uh, in the uh, Upper West Side, New York City. I, I've been able to go there a few times, uh, last time was in January. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting because if, if you know that church, uh, if you don't check it out online, book yourself a trip to New York uh, and, and go. It's, it's just terrific. We were actually there once with Trevor and Leslie, uh, somewhat happenstantially. Um, but that church was a church plant, like all churches, I think about 25 years ago. Um, and they considered themselves to be a church for New York City in the same way that Trevor talks about Urban Grace being a church for Calgary. So I like that parallel. Um, it's incredible what's happened there. It'll be incredible what happens here. Uh, the other part of that that resonates with me, and it might resonate here, I don't know. Um, I'm a lawyer. I have only been doing it for about 35 years now, so I'm, I'm just starting to get the hang of it. And I love being a lawyer, but I, what I really love is business. I love business. I love business stories. I love studying why one works and another one doesn't work, and what to do right and what not to do wrong. Um, and that's kind of my life. Um, and at Redeemer Presbyterian, there's a pretty heavy emphasis on faith and work. And they've got a really interesting part of their webpage, if you want to check it out, with resources about faith and work. It even breaks it down by discipline. There's a page for lawyers. Um, some of you are thinking there should be more than one page, I know, but there, there is. <laughs> and uh, uh, Trevor preached recently about faith and work and uh, referred uh, to a Tim Keller book called Every Good Endeavor, which is a great book. But anyway, I, that's an interest of mine, and if anybody here ever wanted to talk about uh, career things uh, or business issues and faith in business issues, I'd be, uh, I'd be pleased to do that, and I won't bill you. <laughs> Sweet. When we first... Uh came here, um, I guess it, it really was because of Peter. And how Peter worked in my life is when he started um, coming over and we'd have these discussions about the gospel. And um, I always felt like maybe I was missing something there. And one day he said to me, you need to read the explicit gospel. And I did, and it was, it's by Matt Chandler, and it it really uh, changed my life because he talked about, he talks in there about an assumed gospel. And it really hit me that uh, in a lot of ways I was living my life like that. And in a lot of ways I parented like that. I assumed that you uh, were saved by the gospel and then it kind of just, then you started to, to work on things. And I realized that the gospel needed to be a part 
up every single day. And um, I was involved in a Bible study at a big church, and we had, we had a large group there, and uh, it was kind of time to, to move on from that. Uh, there was a younger set of girls that uh, were eager to kind of lead them, and it just ended up being the right time for us to leave, and I really felt like that was God's leading as well. And um, uh, we started again in Bible study, ladies' Bible study, and it has been such a blessing uh, to be in that group with so many young women. Um, it's been so encouraging to me to see uh, young women just uh, study and think and see how the gospel applies to them. And it has just, it has been encouraging, it has been life-changing for me, and it has, it has um, really helped me in my own walk, because you start to think about things and question things in your own life, and we do it together, and it's, it's been fabulous. And I just feel like um, God has really led us here, and uh, we love the grassrootsness of this church, and uh, we are just uh, very thankful that we are part of it. Thanks, Janet. Thanks. I, I could obviously go on. I think we gotta we, we gotta wrap it up. I'm getting the wrap it up sign. Um, but yeah, just just to close out that year, this last year we've launched Matt and Amanda at Howden uh, City Group Eight and uh, City Group Nine with Rob and Dana Ellen, both in. That's not Rob and Dana Ellen. They're somewhere along. Okay, they look a lot like Rob and Dana Ellen. <laughs> Sorry. I, I went, they're right there. Okay, Rob's on the Mac. Dana's beside the Mac right there. Uh, that's a mis mistake by me. Um, but this is City Group 8 and 9. So we have had some City Groups shut down, but really, this is incredible. And we did some research as to kind of our Sunday morning attendance recently, and we're around the 80 to 90 mark attendance-wise, um, but the people that are involved in city groups is, is 89. So we have like almost like 100 or 110% involvement in city groups, if that's possible. What that means, yeah, yeah. Some churches measure their success by the amount of people that show on on a particular Sunday. We want to measure our success by the amount of people that we're able to send out and the amount of people that are involved in a community group. And by those measurements, we're 100%. And we know that there's people who, for whatever reason, haven't been able to be involved in a city group. And so this is a remarkable number for us. And we're very encouraged by it. And so the, the, the theme this year, moving forward, I think, is Psalms. It's prayer. And some of you have noticed that we, if you've been with us recently, that we are really praying about uh, what Jesus and His Spirit will do in us and through us. And we're pressing into that a lot. And we hope that next year when we celebrate, we can say, here's a lot of answers to prayer that we've had. I was going to have a roaming mic, but we just don't have time. I'm sorry. I've probably taken up all the time in this. I want to hear, hear some other stories. But don't let me stop you from telling stories. And so maybe we won't have a roaming mic, but like, go up and talk to people. We have a barbecue for this very reason that we want a lot of stories about what's happened and how people got connected to be happening during this time. And so let me just call up Julie then to close this thing out. Let's just spend some time celebrating.
celebrating together. Let's drown out a little bit of the toys dropping with our voices uh, as we close here.